Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hello, everyone. Welcome to It Could Happen Here, the podcast about things falling apart and sometimes how we can put them back together. Uh, today, it's uh, me, Garrison, uh, Chris, our producer Sophie, and uh, Andrew joins us once again. Yay! I love that guy. <laughs> oh, me too! Me too! Hi, everyone. Um, welcome Hello. to another episode of Andrew talking about... Whatever he feels like talking about. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Today's episode, um, I am happy to announce that I finally, finally finished Dawn of Everything by David Wenker. It took it took a while, you know, there were some points in time, some weeks that just went by where I didn't even like make a dent. Um, you know, life got in the way and stuff, but I finally, finally finished it. And now I get to talk about it and say you know, with some authority that I've read Dawn of Everything, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's a very dense book, but um, it was 100% worth it. I mean, there are some critiques that I've been digging into by some um, authors in the field. Um, and so I highly recommend people look for critiques as well, not just, you know, taking it and consuming it wholesale, but the, in addition to those critiques, like armed with those critiques, um, such as by people like 
um, what is politics on YouTube and also a couple of academic writers as well. I think you could get a lot out of the book and I certainly have. Yeah, this is a, this is a, this is a very good book. I'm, I'm excited to talk about it because I read it like, oh, it was a while ago now. Like, it's like six, five months ago or something. Oh, wow. I've, I've been like, <laughs> I feel ashamed to talk about it. I've been like waiting for the chance. I've I've been tr I've been I've been picking up bits and pieces of it, but unfortunately, my book list to get through is uh, way too long at the moment. So I've not <laughs> been able to actually dive fully into the text itself. Um, but it is definitely on my list after I get through my twenty other books I need to read for my job. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, at least we get to read books for a living, or yeah, something indeed. adjacent to that. Um, and I mean. I it is a difficult book, I would say, to like discuss in its entirety. And I didn't, I don't intend to, not to read any parade or anything, Chris, but I don't intend to talk about the entire yeah, no. book, you know, because that's like several that's hundred so pages. <laughs> yeah. You know, and each chapter covers like so, so much. Um, but I actually wanted to talk about chapter four in particular, um, where the authors explore the concept and the origins in a sense of cultures um in one particular segment i mean there are a lot of mysteries of the upper paleolithic that we don't know right i mean that's why the mysteries um but you know we've come to learn you know through the course of the book that you know this assumption that everything was just these small tight-knit bands um and that was just the entirety of the human social arrangement until states you know at least it's new to the layman to realize that this is not necessarily the case, you know, um, that there is a lot more um, political, structural, you know, diversity in that time period. We don't know at that point in time, you know, what languages people were speaking. You know, of course, linguists have been able to like reconstruct like proto languages and stuff. And I mean, I'm just a hobby linguist, just like I'm a hobby everything else. But I think it's been really cool to see how linguists are just able to do that. Like, can we just take a second to realize that like linguists are able to take scraps of existing languages and just kind of piece them together to get a sense of like how they're related. Like, how do you all do that? Um, <laughs> um, but we, there's a lot we don't know, right? We don't know about their language, we don't know about their myths, you know, um, their conceptions of the soul, what their favorite foods were. I mean, we know they ate, but we don't know what, like, Joe Skeleton thought about his breakfast that morning. But what we do know is that, you know, from the Swiss Alps to Outer Mongolia, in the Upper Paleolithic, people were using a lot of the same tools, um, playing a lot of similar musical instruments, carving similar, rather interesting female figurines, um, wearing similar ornaments, and conducting similar funeral rites. And there's also reason to believe that people actually traveled a lot more than we would expect them to do and tra actually traveled longer distances than we would expect for that time period. I mean, we don't have, they didn't have rather, you know, like cars or, or chariots or trains or planes or anything like that. So to think that these long distance um, journeys were occurring, you know, Places like Australia or in like North America is just really interesting to think about. Yeah, I was wondering if you can talk about like one of the things that I thought was really interesting about 
this is the way that they talk about culture areas where you have these yes. like yes yeah yeah you have these like very large i mean like almost like like half continent sized areas where people are speaking similar languages but like the same language and you have these like you have like these clan structures that are like you know you 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 can go from like you can go from like Missouri and you can end up in like Mississippi and you'll be in a place where they still have like you know the the sort of like four basic like clan lodges are still the same and you'll meet people who are like right. from your clan and he, he has this really interesting line about how like sort of counterintuitively like the world's gotten like the world like even even when there was like people spread over geographic distance like the world sort of got larger as, as technology progressed and not sort of like smaller in the way that people sort of think about it because like in in i don't know in, instead of there being these sort of like mega like culture areas you can go from one place to another and you'll there'll be people who speak the same language and you'll, you could sort of slot into the like systems that are there you suddenly have this like incredible diversity of stuff right right so i mean specific to like north america you know um where you had all these different clan structures we usually tend to think of um you know these groups as and you know especially like your immediate relations with people that you know it's like close skin family that kind of thing um but there's actually, at least in some studies of hunter-gatherers, there's some suggestion that their composition can be quite cosmopolitan. So, you know, you have these these groups and biological relations might only make up a small percentage of, like, total membership. They're actually drawing from a wide pool of individuals of a larger stretch of area. I know not all of them even speak necessarily the f- same first language. Um, there's this YouTuber, uh, Indigenous Anarchist YouTuber named Twin Rabbit, and he had this excellent, excellent video. I need to rewatch it on Plains Sign Language, which is this um, method of communication that Indigenous Americans um, used across, you know, the plains to conduct trade and diplomacy and discussions, even if they didn't share the same language. Um, in Aboriginal Australia. People were able to travel halfway across the continent, moving across people who spoke entirely different languages and still find, you know, camps that had people of, you know, their same totemic moiety, you know, and those people were to be treated like their brothers and sisters, you know, so like no hanky panky, but, you know, they had this, this, you know, cross continental bond of like hospitality. From the Great Lakes, you know, to Louisiana bayous, you could find settlements of people speaking entirely, entirely separate languages unrelated to their own. And yet still, you'll find, you know, bear clans or elk clans or beaver clans that were obliged to host and feed them, you know? Um, And we could only really guess as to, like, what kind of systems were like and how those systems might have worked 40,000 years ago, you know, in the Upper Paleolithic, but... What we do see with the, you know, similarities in material um, uniformities and stuff um, of these different tools and musical instruments and stuff suggests that there might be a bit of a similar system in place at that time. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Roughly around like 12,000 BC, we start seeing like new pottery, you know, getting dropped. We're starting to see the outlines of more specific cultures in specific areas, new stone grinding tools. Uh, new ways of preparing and eating wild grains and roots and other vegetables. Um, different ways of chopping, slicing, grating, grinding, soaking, draining, boiling, and storing, smoking, and preserving meats, plant foods, and fish. And so then we start to see something that um, really brings people together, and that is cuisine. And cuisine, you know, being the birth of cuisine, being the birth of like really more specific cultures. Um, you know, the kinds of soups and porridges and stews and broths and basically what they were talking about was the way that people who like wake up and eat fish stews every morning tend to, you know, 
develop a different sense of themselves in relation to their world compared to people who might wake up in the morning and eat some porridge with like berries and wild oats. You know, and then from there they start to develop different tastes in in clothing, you know, in in dancing and drugs and hairstyles. Um, I remember later on in the book, um, the Davids point out that some indigenous um, Native American groups were actually known for specific hairstyles, and I kind of knew that based on the fact that you know we tend to associate Mohawks with people, you know, Mohawk hairstyle, Mohawk people. But I didn't realize that, you know, other groups also had their own kind of like culturally specific hairstyles, right? And there's also like courtship rituals and forms of kinship and styles of rhetoric. And so, of course, you still have these large cultural areas in the Mesolithic, larger than some nation states. But you're starting to see a bit more specificity and a bit more diversity in, in shorter um, spans of area. If we look at now, for example, where, you know, we have in the Amazon, all these different languages and cultures that coexist merely kilometers from each other. I think the overall trend um, of human cultures, you know, over the past tens of thousands of years has been the opposite of marginalization. And it makes me think a bit about the whole concept of the nation state and how it tries to like bring people together to this like one narrow conception of what it means to be, you know, X, Y, Z and how humanity naturally seems to like resist that and naturally seems to like split off from that. Like even when you have situations with the forceful spread of English in, you know, the Caribbean colonies, you still see like a diversity springing up with a bunch of different unique creoles and dialects making the language something different. You know, if not for the enforcement of language standardization through the, you know, school system, I think we would actually see an even more rapid um, explosion of, you know, linguistic diversity developing out of these creoles and dialects. You know, like a couple centuries from now, you know, Patois and Trinidadian Creole and British English may be entirely incompatible, even in Britain itself, you know, you might have a case where London English and, I don't know, Sussex English or whatever starts to sound like entirely different. I mean, you already have that with accents, but just to see how, you know, even in short spaces of time, as short as a century or two, because, for example, Trinidad um, was not always an English-speaking colony. Um, We actually spoke French Creole for most of our history. And only in the 19th century did we have that period of Anglicization where English was, you know, brought in. Um, and to see that in that short space of time, in that handful of centuries, that, you know, Trinidad already has its own unique English-based Creole. You know, it's just fascinating to see. Um, There's something really interesting to me about the way this process plays out because it's 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 almost like, okay, so you, you have this sort of like, like you have this period in what is the Mesolithic, um, all the period names are blanking out of my head, but like like forty five. Same. <laughs> yeah, so like you have this period where you have kind of like you you have a lot of cultural standardization like spread across a long period, like a, a bunch of places, and it's used sort of as a mutual aid thing. It allows people to travel because you can go to a place and know that like there will be people who 
are like you there and they will take care of you. And, and it's interesting to me. It's like, okay, so this breaks apart as sort of like these, these new cultures, like as, as people develop local cultures around like food and around just like Graber has this thing that he loves talking about. He's been talking about for ages called uh, schismogenesis, which is like you have two people. You know, it was like, I think, I, I think the, his original example was like, you have two people who are arguing with each other and they like disagree minorly over like one thing. And then by the end of the argument, like they're, they've, they've taken like completely mutually opposed identities to each other based on like right. an incredibly minor disagreement. And you get this with, yeah, you get like, you get cultures that sort of like define themselves against each other. And like, they have things that they like and things that they don't like. And it's interesting to me that, that you see, you see the state trying to sort of like reimpose that kind of like like 40,000 year old cultural homogeneity on all of these places that are like incredibly not homogenous, but they're doing it for like the opposite reason. They're doing it because they need standardization in order to sort of like make their, make their bureaucratic like systems work better and make their sort of like, yeah. Seen like, like a stage it, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also like, like, I mean, this, this was a huge thing. Everyone in the, in the, like the early, the late nineties and early two thousands thought that like the extent of capitalism on the around the globe was going to make make everything exactly the same. There's only going to be one culture, and that like kind of really didn't happen. But there was this real sort of I don't know, like the, 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 there was this real sort of fear that that it wasn't just going to be the nation state spreading like homogenization, but that, like capitalism was going to sort of like spread homogenization. And I guess I guess the thing that they wound up doing instead was like figuring out that you could just sell everyone in their individual cultural niche, which to some extent. Not, yeah. Cause like we see yeah. a McDonald's in the U S and a McDonald's in Bangladesh and a McDonald's in Japan. And they sell all of the same McDonald's stuff, but they've also like sort of specified to their, you know, specific country. Yeah. We have the worst version. The U S is the worst version of it, by the way. Like <laughs> the, the, uh, uh, the, like Ta- Taiwan has one that has like, they have like rice, uh, sticky rice patties, it's oh, it's so much better than the US. Yeah, world. I mean, I will say though, if I did end up traveling to Taiwan, I McDonald's would probably be the last place I would want to go. <laughs> yeah, we we wound up eating there, and we we were we had to catch a plane, and so we wound up eating like um, Taiwanese Taiwanese McDonald's. Yeah, That's Taiwanese cool. McDonald's airport food because we had like five minutes. It was a oh, you know what they say about airplane food. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah that's exactly what I was about to get into actually the whole idea of cultural differentiation you know um, and this this tendency that humans have to subdivide and to distinguish themselves from their neighbors and I mean it's natural to assume that you know this differentiation comes from like differences in like language you know with you know language splitting off over the centuries and people associating with their native language and ethnicity but that really tells the full story you know, like, for example, in Northern California in the early 20th century, the ethnolinguistic map uh, had really a jumble of languages that drew from entirely different language families, you know, as distant from one another as like Arabic and Tamil and Portuguese. And yet these groups still shared, you know, broad similarities. You know, how they went about gathering and processing food, you know, their most important re- religious rituals how they organize their political life. Um, and they also managed to keep themselves distinct. You know, you had the Yurok and the Hoopa and the Karok and so forth. And I mean, to some extent, these identities did map onto linguistic differences, but their neighbors who spoke different languages 
still had more in common with them than people who came from their same language family in another part of North America. Of course, you know, European colonization had like a severe impact on like how Native Americans were distributed. Um, But we still tend to see this trend of how like these modern nation states, they'd went around at the time to, you know, order populations into these neat ethno-linguistic groups. You know, this idea that the world should be divided into these like homogenous units with their own history and everyone has a claim to like a certain territory and all that. It's mean it's really a, a concept that is born out of this mythology of the nation state. And, you know, of course we had to be real careful before we project those kind of uniformities back in time. Yeah, it's it's stuff's only really like two hundred years old. Like it's it's pretty young. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But um there are some concerns, you know, with the concept of culture areas, because that whole notion of culture areas came out of North American museums who wanted to arrange their stolen artifacts to illustrate their theories of the different stages of human adaptation, you know, like lower, lower savagery and upper savagery and lower, lower barbarism and so on. And so they had to determine whether they were going to organize these artifacts based on like language family or regional clusters um, or some sort of like traced history of, of, of regional, of ancient migrations, right? Eventually they realized that, you know, this way of organizing into regional clusters seemed to work best where the art and technology of different Eastern Woodlands tribes had some very similar um, things in common compared to like, trying to group people based on like, say the Athabascan language or all the people who relied on fishing or all the people who cultivated maize. Um, and they were able to find similar patterns in the Neolithic villages of Central Europe, you know, finding these regional clusters of domestic life and art and ritual. And so like this whole cultural area concept was kind of a way of pushing back against this way of, you know, talking about human history that like ranked populations into higher or lower anything, you know, this, this idea of, of claiming that, you know, people were of a certain superior genetic stock and had reached a certain advanced level of technological evolution. And so rather this, there's been a, there was a shift in anthropological focus to look at the diffusion of more cultural traits like ceramics and sweat lodges and, you know, the treatment of young men or certain sports. Um, and so they wanted to try to understand how these different tribes of certain region came to share this mesh of culture traits. So one of the people who were thinking on this, you know, whole culture traits cluster idea um, was a guy named Boas, right? And he wanted to figure out why it is that, like, geography seemed to define the circulation of ideas, you know, with like mountains and deserts forming these natural barriers and how basically the diffusion within those regions was basically historical accident. Other people were hypothesizing that there was some sort of like way to eventually develop a kind of a natural science, developing how and even predicting the ebb and flow of styles, habits and social forms. And eventually Marcel Mouse pulls up, you know, and he's basically taught, he basically like 
writes a bunch of essays on nationalism and civilization. And he says, basically, this whole idea of cultural diffusion is nonsense because it's based on a false assumption. And the false assumption is that the movement of people, technologies and ideas is some sort of rarity, something unusual. Instead, Maus argues that like people in past times traveled even more than people do today. And it's just that when these people interact with people of other cultures and they see their cultural traits, they reflect on that and find a way to relate that to their own cultures. Right? So like people who were traveling back then, obviously all of them, you know, were aware of basketry, you know, or 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 featherworks or whatever the case may be, that other people were using a couple miles away. Same to be said for like certain drum rhythms or certain, you know, games. Or like for example, he spent some time focusing on the distribution of the ball games around the Pacific Ocean, around the Pacific Rim, um, from Japan to New Zealand to California. And what he realized is that whether people pick up certain ideas, certain traits from other cultures comes down to how they want to be defined against their neighbors, against their closest neighbors. The question becomes less about why certain culture traits spread but why other culture traits didn't. Because if you're aware of all the things that your neighbors and stuff are doing, all these foreign customs and arts and technologies, I mean, we know that the Silk Road, for example, even if we talk about the Silk Road, you know, we had a Silk Road going from China all the way into Europe and all across the Silk Road, all across Central Asia and West Asia. And despite that constant, you know, sharing of ideas, not every idea that, you know, came from China or came from Persia, or I don't know if Persia was around during the Silk Road, but you know what I'm saying? Like, not every idea that was along the Silk Road everyone necessarily picked up on, even if it was a technology that might have benefited them. Because cultures are effectively structures of refusal. So, for example, um, there's this guy on YouTube, um, Religion for Breakfast. He did a video recently on the pork taboo in certain cultures and certain religions, right? And one of the things he pointed out was that the taboo tends to be strengthened in times of like repression. So for example, or in times of cultural um, definition. So for example, he was pointing out that in the period of Roman conquest, the Jewish people were more inclined to define themselves as, you know, against the consumption of pork compared to the Romans. You know, for example, the Chinese are the people who use chopsticks. You know, they don't use knives and forks. Or you know, the Thai are the people who use spoons and so on. You know, it could just be say, said that, you know, it's like aesthetics, like styles of art or music or table manners. Of course, those things won't differ. But even like technologies that have like certain adaptive or utilitarian benefits might still be might still be refused by people who might even benefit from them. Like for example, the Athabascans in Alaska refuse to use Inuit kayaks, despite the fact that they are a lot better 
suited for the environment and their own boats. And the Inuit, for example, don't use Athabascan snowshoes. Um, at least in the time that Marcel Maus is writing. And then, of course, this is a self-conscious process. You know, this is a process where a debate and discussion of all these different customs would have been occurring. You know, for example, in the Chinese courts, when different foreign styles and customs would, you know, come into the lands, there would be debates and arguments put forward by, you know, the kings and their advisors and their vassals, you know, discussing, you know, whether they would ride the horses or drive chariots or adopt like the Manchu dress codes and, and, and customs. And so societies, Mao said, live by borrowing from each other, but they define themselves by the refusal of borrowing than by its acceptance. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Spentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. 
Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. The question of how culture areas form and how cultures split off is definitely a political one. The decision to adopt um, a certain form of agriculture or to cultivate a certain crop, more specifically, or to adopt a certain style of dress. It's not just like a matter of like mere utility, of mere or caloric advantage or material efficiency. Or it's also a reflection on a questioning of the values that that group of people holds or purport to hold, who they consider themselves to be. I like to think about the development of cultures, you know. I like to think about how our ancestors or distant ancestors even considered themselves. You know, it's easy to just fall into this trap because it's a very common cultural trope that, you know, once you go before the invention of writing or whatever, all of our ancestors are just like ooga booga cavemen kind of thing. But to think of them as self-conscious and politically um, conscious, politically considerate, thoughtful actors, not, you know, static or passive props. Um, it's just, I think it's, it's, I think it's just very cool. <laughs> I think it's very cool. And I think that we should keep, you know, these developments, these, this recognition in mind as we, you know, in the modern time, look to try to transform the cultures that we live under and to try to develop new values, new values of like anti-authoritarianism and anti-capitalism and of you know, a greater priority on mutual aid and on egalitarian social relations. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot of very interesting political consequences of of thinking about this because, like, I think that there, there's sort of, like, two tendencies that that we sort of get stuck in when we think about, like, our social structures, which is there's there's the there's one which is the sort of, like, I guess it's called like capitalist realism, which is the assumption that like nothing else could possibly like this is the only system that works. Nothing else can possibly exist, and that's unproductive. And you know, you go back and you look at like any other culture or society, and it's like, well, no, like there's there's like <laughs> an unbelievable, like nearly infinite number of ways you can organize your society. But then I think I think the second one is that like, yeah, if if, if you look at this sort of cultural diffusion and cultural refusal stuff you 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 see a lot of examples of people doing stuff that like under sort of like classical economic or like sociological laws they shouldn't be doing right like there's no reason why you shouldn't use a more efficient canoe if you're in a place of of the part of the world that's like extremely hard to survive in right and and i think that there's this tendency to sort of like reduce culture and reduce just all of the ways that our social and political systems function to these sort of like, oh, they're the product of these like abstract historical forces and like, ah, it's all like, it's all determined by technology and like, 
how you farm and stuff. That's just not true. Yeah, I mean, not to say that material conditions aren't, you know, very important in understanding, um, you know, how these cultures develop. And that's one part of um, Don't Hurt Thing that I found was a bit lacking. I think that not all the time those dots were clearly connected, um, I'd say. But I do think people put too much stock in solely material and materialist um, explanations. And that kind of ends up precluding or leaving out the more messy human realm of explanation. Yeah, and, and I, I think I think part of why this happens is that like it, it's much if if you assume everyone is like behaving according to historical forces or like the thing that they're trying to do is like maximize um they're trying to like maximize their utility or they're trying to like maximize the amount of calories they have it, it, that that's a very easy thing to like new, like think about numerically right like it's a very easy thing to refuse the numbers it's extremely difficult to refuse the numbers like to reduce to like reduce to numbers a society that is like i'm going to i'm going to intentionally make my life harder for myself because this is the way we do things and we've decided we don't want to do things like other people or we've decided that we have some kind of political value that we have that makes it such that we're going to like induce difficulty into our lives and like that i don't know like that that kind of stuff the the the, the fact that culture is not just a sort of like superstructure that gets pro- that's like a pro- product of like some kind of economic base like that that is very important and something that gets ignored or downplayed constantly that i think i don't yeah and like i think like yeah i think i think you can argue that don't everything like maybe goes too far in the other direction but i'm i'm sort of okay with that just because we've been so far on the side of like everything is historical forces for so long that you need something to remind people that like societies make conscious political choices and not only have they made conscious political choices for like tens of thousands of years uh like we also can make conscious political choices that are not just sort of like pure reflections of like however many tons of iron have been extracted and like what percentage of like workers are currently working in hospitals versus like making cookies or something right thank you for that ooo analysis chris really <laughs> i i agree that that's a joke like 12 people will get i i i love you if you if you understand that joke also i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> yes you can wrap it up carson um all of this has been very fascinating. What what I've learned the most is that I need to finish reading all my books so that I can read the dawn of everything. Um, <laughs> I know I, I like I like got it for my dad for Christmas because um, because I, I knew that it would be a, at least I think I did. My memory could be I could actually be wrong. I could have only intended to get it for my dad for Christmas <laughs> and then forgotten to actually get it. But I've been meaning it to I've been meaning to both buy it for myself and get it for other people. Um, because I've heard a lot of interesting things about the book. So it is definitely on my list. Uh, it's been a pleasure listening to uh, y'all uh, discuss it. Um, Andrew, where can if people want to check out more of uh, your your work, where could where could they go about that? Right. So you can still find me on Twitter at underscore Saint Drew when I'm not um, hiding. And you could also find me on YouTube. Andrewism, 
youtube.com slash andrewism where I post videos about also stuff, random stuff, you know, that I'm thinking about politics, history, all that jazz. A, a, a few days ago, as of time of recording, um, uh, Andrew put out a, a wonderful video on uh, solar punk stuff. Um, I have no idea when this episode will air, so this it's probably been like a month or two or something. <laughs> um, but uh, definitely check out uh, the Andrewism channel. It's one of my favorite spots to uh, watch something when I feel like I can't put any words on the page. I, I go watch your things because it's very helpful. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So that does it for us today. Uh, you can find us at Twitter and on Twitter and Instagram at Happen Here Pod, Coolzone Media. You can find me posting about hyper objects and liminal spaces at Hungry Bowtie. And I heard that you have a Twitter, Chris. Yeah, it's at itmechr3. Uh, you can find me mostly complaining about other people who are doing <laughs> communism wrong. I Love guess that's that most for, of what I post about. Love that for you. Uh, uh, you too will be able to differentiate between the 16 different... Actually, that's not even true. There's not even 16. There used to be... Long ago in a galaxy far, far away, I made a decision, and that was that uh, I was going to sacrifice my brain to understand the different kinds of Maoism, and if you too want to understand why it still exists and all 20,000 varieties of them, uh, yeah, go there. If you don't want to do that, do not. You'll be happier. Well, what a ringing endorsement. Uh, <laughs> goodbye, everyone. Go, uh, I don't know. Oh, should we, should, we, should, we plug, should we plug the other shows that we uh, have? Yeah, I guess. Everyone's tuned out at this point. I hope they've all stopped the podcast player. <laughs> okay. So I think... I think uh, yes, go some... be free. <laughs> yes, go outside and be free. There, I can... You can you can edit that into something that is more concise. Sorry, Daniel slash Ian. I don't. Know I don't care. It could happen here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website coolzonemedia.com or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com/sources. Thanks for listening. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, 
fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.